that's pretty important. He has a design for how he wants his family to be run, how he wants us to interact with one another, um, and that's extremely important. And as we come into alignment with that, we display his glory in the earth in greater and greater measure. So obviously the enemy doesn't want that. So that's why it's so important. You know, I, I don't know that I ever grew up understanding. I know I did not grow up understanding anything about how the church was supposed to function. I, it just never was taught about, you know, like who are the leaders? What are their roles? Um, and I think that's partly because we've come so far away from what's biblical. So it's hard to um, preach about something that's not biblical, right? If we were to go into it, one of the churches today, and this is not to be a judgment on other churches, it's just where we've come as a global body far away from what God laid out for us. And if we were to try to preach about leadership in the church, it would be very hard to find biblical precedent for anything that we're doing. <laughs> so it would, it would literally just be like, this is what we think is good <laughs> and works well because of most, a lot of it business model. So that's why it's kind of hard, I think, when I think about the Baptist church that I grew up in, love that church. That, you know, I had great relationships there. But if they were to try to teach on leadership, I mean, they had just the one pastor. That's all that there was, one pastor and a couple of elders in the background making some financial decisions. So I hope we're getting to understand a little bit better that God has a very specific design for the church, for his family. And, and we want to walk in it. We want to follow that. So we're going to do a quick review because I want to make sure this stuff's sinking deep because I know it's a lot of information. Um, how, who remembers? How, how do you know when something is normative? And when I say normative, that means that it's something biblical that's meant for all churches of all times, like from the beginning of the church till Christ returns. How do you know when something is normative? Does anyone remember? Anyone besides T Pastor Tom first? Anybody? No? That's fine. Go ahead. So when you see it as a pattern in scripture, so you're seeing it exemplified over and over again, like the leaders in Acts, and then when you see it taught on in scripture, so we see, like, for instance, the gifts of the spirit all throughout Acts, they're prophesying, they're speaking in tongues, they're seeing signs and wonders, and then that's taught about all in 1 Corinthians, right, 12 through 14 and other passages. That makes that normative. It was practiced regularly all throughout the church and the early church first three to five hundred years after the bible and it was taught about meaning they were instructing how to perpetuate it normative okay simple way who are ministers of the gospel when i say ministers of the gospel what pops into your mind yeah there you go so we hear, oh, I hope this registers, ministers of the gospel are apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Where do we find those? What passage of scripture tells us about those five? Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. 
All right, get it in your mind, let it roll. I know it's, I'm gonna just keep repeating it every single time so that hopefully by the time we're done, if you don't remember, you're gonna have a problem. No, I'm just kidding. We'll do it again and again and again. <laughs> so those are ministers of the gospel. You find them in Ephesians 4. Can anyone be a minister of the gospel? No, why not? It's a gift. It's a calling. It's a grace given by God to particular people, right? So you can't just desire to be an apostle like, oh, I want to be that. It sounds cool. No, it does not. Are, they, are these ministers of the gospel, are they normative roles for the church? Yes. Why? It's repeated and taught. So we see the pattern all throughout the, the first church, the early church. And then the first century church, so we see it through the first three to five hundred years of the church, these roles were being perpetuated. And then some things happened in history, which I'm not going to get into all that, but you see it very clearly in history where things start to change and who made decisions to make those things change. Very interesting. What is their primary role of the ministers of the gospel? What is their primary role? Yeah, so their, their primary role is establishing church communities. So it's not just staying in one place. Does anyone remember even specifically what Ephesians 4 says about their role? Equip. Remember that word, equip. So they're there for the equipping of the saints until the saints are mature and are in unity. So that also signifies it's perpetuating, right? Because are we all mature and all in unity? Not even close. Lord, help us. <laughs> all right. Which roles, which leadership roles are sodal? This is the last of the review, so don't worry. <laughs> which roles are sodal roles? Church. The Big C Church. Sodal is global. I know these are hard to remember, and people who have had them in their mind a lot even mix them up, but we're just trying to get it. Sodal is global. So which roles are the global roles? The MOGs, <laughs> the ministers of the gospel. Which roles are the modal roles? It's hard to say. Leading men and women. Yes. So elders, bishops, deacons, leading men and women, those are modal, which means little c, local. They're, they're primary focused on the local. Okay, and this is the last two things. What role do apostles have in the church? What are they doing primarily? Yes, assessment, see, see where the church is at for establishment, to bring it to establishment, what were you saying, Bobby? Building, yep, building and establishing, so church planting, right? They're going into a place, church planting and establishing. So if a church is already planted, they might go there and assess, like Lori said, see what needs to be done, and they bring that church to establishment, which involves appointing leaders, uh, establishing people in their faith, and things of that nature, depending on what needs to be done. 
What role do prophets have in the church? Minister of the gospel prophets. Edify. Edify. That's a huge role. What else? Remember. Anyone remember what the difference was between the gift of prophecy and a prophet? Great point. So not everyone's a prophet, because prophet is minister of the gospel, right? But everyone can prophesy, because we have the spirit of God inside of us. A prophet is a leader in the church. Not everyone who prophesies is a leader, right? A prophet has authority in church leadership to establish, and their words might be, I mean, you see Joe functioning in it. He comes up and he'll share for five, ten minutes. That's the role of a prophet. It might even go longer, 20, 30, hour. That's how it was in the early church. I mean, we've lost a lot of capacity <laughs> in Western church, right? We're like, 10 minutes, can I go home yet? My mind is, Dan Lee is also, remember Dan Lee coming through here. He is definitely minister of the gospel prophet. He stands up here for like three hours, <laughs> teaching and prophesying, equipping. And a major role of that, you see it in Joe when he's at BHOP, Bangor House of Prayer, establishing, equipping the saints, and also here. So that's the difference. Someone who just prophesies is not necessarily equipping the body or teaching. They're prophesying. They might have a word of knowledge, a word of encouragement. It might be a few minutes long, one, one two minutes, okay? All right, okay, so here we go. We're going into evangelists. Now, this, the reason why this one is going to be shorter is because there's actually not a huge, uh, like a ton of examples of five, a minister of the gospel evangelist. There's actually only one, but there's a pattern of him throughout scripture. So we're going to look at this pattern. If you have your Bible, you can look at it because we're going to look at a, a good chunk of scriptures. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 8. So, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8 to start, we're going to be talking about Philip. Now, Saul approved of putting Stephen to death. Saul is who became Paul, right? We know he was a persecutor of the church. So, S Stephen was a martyr. He was preaching the gospel. He was one of the, those deacons from Acts 6. So, powerful people. He goes out and preaches the gospel, and he gets stoned to death. Crazy. And Saul is standing by, approving of that happening. And on that day that Stephen died, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Some devout men buried Stephen and mourned loudly for him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, because the church met in houses, right? He's not going after families. He's going after the church that was meeting in homes, okay? He was going in house after house, and he was dragging away men and women and putting them in prison. Terrifying, right? That is scary. Therefore, those who'd been scattered went through places preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming the Christ to them. The crowds were paying attention with one mind to what was being said by Philip. As they heard and saw the signs which he was performing, for in the case of many who had unclean spirits or demonic spirits, 
They were coming out of them, shouting with, loud, with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed or limbed on crutches were healed. So there was much rejoicing in the city. Amazing. So let's look at some first observations. We're going to just take a few chunks and look at some observations about Philip. Philip was highlighted. There was a persecution that started, and many people went, right? But Luke highlights Philip. Right? There were a lot of people who went out preaching the gospel. But he says, Philip, this is who we're going to look at. Out of the many had been scattered, but, uh, but he was highlighted by Luke. Remember, Luke wrote the book of Acts, so he's observing everything that happens, and he's writing it down. The crowds paid attention to Philip. They were drawn by what he was saying. So we don't hear about anybody else who's preaching the gospel that crowds were drawn to them. But a whole city's rejoicing because of Philip and his message. Okay? Show a different type of grace. Right? He was performing signs and wonders. So deliverance, miraculous healing. We don't hear about anybody else who's performing these signs and wonders. Maybe they were, but we don't hear about it. We know that Philip grabbed the attention of an entire city by his preaching of the gospel with signs and wonders. And the whole city rejoiced because of what he was doing. Okay? See the difference? Yeah, it's coming. So Acts 8, 9 through 13. Now a man named Simon had been previously been practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And all the people from small to great were paying attention to him, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they were paying attention to him because for a long time he had astounded them with the, his magic arts. Okay, so real demonic stuff happening. He's functioning in witchcraft. He's astounding them with magic, so much so that they think that he's the great power of God. That's pretty big. But when they believed Philip, as he was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were being baptized. Now even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was repeatedly amazed. So we see a continued pattern. Philip is continuing to preach the gospel. And many are continuing to believe. So he, his whole, you know, the, Luke is following him saying, well, this guy's going city to city and people are believing him. They were being baptized. So he's preaching the gospel and he's baptizing people with signs and wonders. And even key opposing voices, Simon, believed and was baptized and then followed Philip. That's a different type of grace. And gift. A, 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 it's like thinking of a head person in witchcraft turning because of the gospel and saying, wow, this is the real deal. This guy has something that I don't. I've been pretending. I've been kind of meddling with this stuff, but this guy has something real. So moving on. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem, now this is so key. The apostles had stayed in Jerusalem, and everyone was scattered, right? When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God from Philip, they sent them Peter and John, two apostles, who came down and prayed for them that they would receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay, the apostles were sent to those that had received the gospel already. All right, you see this. Apostles and evangelists working together. Philip the evangelist, there were apostles who heard about it and went to follow up. Like what we were saying, there's an assessment. What have they received? They've received the gospel, but they don't have the Holy Spirit, right? So they fulfilled what was lacking. Philip did not lay hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit. His primary focus was preaching the gospel and baptizing people, right? He was driven by preaching the gospel and baptizing. When the Holy Spirit didn't come on them, we don't hear him saying, oh, I need to pray for the Holy Spirit. No, he knew what he was going after. He was preaching and baptizing. The apostles come following and pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes on all the company of people. So Philip was specifically focused on preaching the gospel and baptizing people. There was partnership between evangelist and apostle in the progress of the gospel. Two roles, two, two ministers of the gospel that each had their specific role. The apostles didn't leave Jerusalem. There was a reason why. They were establishing the church in Jerusalem. They stayed. Philip left. He's an evangelist. He was going to preach the gospel. The apostles came behind him and followed up with what work was being done. You'll see that through Acts. You see that pattern in Acts. So then what happens, I skipped a chunk of scripture because basically Simon, that sorcerer, asked to pay to be able to do the signs and wonders that Peter and John were doing, the apostles. And they rebuked him. And he said, pray for me. It was just this long interaction. You can read it yourself. But it, it didn't have to do with this today. So we're skipping to verse 25. So when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So that's the apostles. They're headed back and they're preaching the gospel as they go. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, get ready and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got ready and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, and he was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture which was he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. In humiliation his justice was taken away. Who will describe this his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself? Or of someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth and begin, beginning from this scripture, he preached, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along on the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, this is amazing, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. And the eunuch no longer saw him, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities 
until he came to Caesarea. What? <laughs> I know. I'm like, this has been my prayer since I was like 10. I'm like, Lord, please, if I cross my fingers and pray fast enough to, as I was very works-based, please just transform me somewhere. That would be the coolest thing. I'm crazy. So, as you see, though, the apostles go back to Jerusalem after Samaria received the gospel. Philip, led by the Holy Spirit, to, he was led to certain locations, not making him a prophet. You know, you might see that. The Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, go to this place. It made him a prophetic, mature believer. <laughs> That's all. He heard the Holy Spirit, and he went with the Holy Spirit, okay? Philip was studied in the scripture and prophecy to readily explain to the eunuch. Very important. We'll touch on this in a little bit because evangelists today, yeah, <laughs> don't think they need to know anything, and they don't think they need to be connected anywhere, and I'll explain why that is. They just go out, but... Philip, we see he studied the scripture. He knew as soon as that prophecy was said, oh, I can start here and I'm going to explain how Jesus fulfilled all of this and came. And once again, he's found preaching the gospel and baptizing with signs and wonders. Pattern, right? He's just preaching, baptizing, getting snatched away. <laughs> the Holy Spirit didn't even let him stay to do anything with the eunuch, to tell him anything more. He preached the gospel, baptized him, and then was snatched away somewhere else. So then, so we see this pattern, even just through Acts chapter 8 of Philip the Evangelist, and he is in this scripture, this is the only scripture in the whole of New Testament that calls someone an evangelist. On the next day we left, this is Paul talking, well, Luke is writing, but he says, on the next day we left and came to Caesarea, and when we went to the house of Philip, right? He, in the last passage, he was snatched away to Caesarea. So it looks like he made his home there. Because he went to the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven deacons, and stayed with him. Now this passage, in context, is really incredible. Number one, Philip started as a deacon. Okay, that... That can really bother some people. I don't know if it did when I just said that, but the reason why it bothers us is because we think in hierarchical ways. And we think, oh, deacon, that's like the lowest one in the leadership chain. Wrong, er, wrong answer. Not true. Jesus was the first one to be called a deacon. Jesus, the son of God, the one who's seated high above every other one. He, was, he called himself a deacon to serve. It was one of the highest callings. And Jesus said, follow after me, serve. We didn't come to be served, but to serve. So the reason why we get irked by that is like, oh, I don't want to start a deacon is because of our Western mindset. It's not biblical. It's not biblical at all. Philip started, he was one of the six, the seven men from Acts chapter six, who were chosen among everybody to serve tables. And that was a high leadership position then. Some of the first, so the apostles, those were the first leaders that we know of that they chose. He was one of them. But he was an evangelist. So he was a minister of the gospel, chosen first to serve, and he delighted to do so. To serve tables. That actually shows more leadership than anything else. To someone who delights to serve. This is key. You are modal until you are sodal. 
Okay. What does that mean? Let me just twist my brain all around. You're modal until you're sotal. Meaning, though you have a sotal gift, does not mean that you're instantly out and about functioning in your sotal gift. Timothy was sotal. He was a global guy. He was a minister of the gospel. But he was found in a local church serving and being part of community. He wasn't off doing his own thing. He was known in his local church by the community, by the relationship, to be someone of high uh, reputation within the church. He stayed in one place. So many times today, so do, uh, because our gift, and I say our because I have that gift and grace, I, since I was a kid, it was like, I want to go, 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 go. Get me out of here. I don't want to stay in one place. One year is too long to stay. That seems like an eternity. Because it's in you. You're want, part of that gift and grace is, is causing you to look at the big picture. But you have to stay to be trained and to understand local community. If you're going to be establishing local community, you have to be part of local community to understand how to do that. It's like... It's like being uh, not married and saying you know everything about marriage and you're gonna just go help marriages and you're just like, okay, you might have some biblical stuff that you can help with, but if you're not married, you don't really know what you go through in marriage. People who are married have a lot more wisdom about marriage. They walk through it. They're learning as they're going, right? It's the same concept. How do you think you're going to establish local churches if you don't stay in a local church and grow and get established and learn how to be in community with one another, how to serve, how to be part of a body, how to build a family? You won't. So you're modal until you're sotal, until God calls you forward and you're recognized by leadership to say, yes, you're ready, go. We're all behind you. We're giving our loud yes. You're ready. We, we'll send you out. And that's what should be happening in churches. Unfortunately, it doesn't. And so, because of that, so people are just running around doing lots of crazy stuff. <laughs> because modal leaders are not knowing how to send people out either. Right? They're wanting to keep people in. So I want to keep people in, and the sotal people are going crazy. I'm never going to get sent out of this place, so I'm just going to go by myself. Okay? That's wrong. That's not how it should be functioning. Modal people are, should be watching with Sotal to raise up people and send them out. Sotal leaders. And then this passage in context, if you read it, I'm not going to read it now, but it's very interesting. You see a lot of different leaderships, roles, and gifts. Paul is there. He's an apostle. Philip, his, he's an evangelist. Philip's four daughters, it says Philip's four virgin daughters had the gift of prophecy. Okay, they, ha they were highlighted for having the gift of prophecy. Agabus, the prophet, is there. And then a company of believers. There's a whole bunch of stuff happening there. Agabus throws himself on the ground, ties his hands together, and says, Paul, don't go. Chains are awaiting you in Jerusalem. Paul, being an apostle, weeps and says, why are you trying to hinder me? I'll die for the gospel. And he goes. So again, showing he... He was not submitted to Agabus. Paul was submitted to other leaders. There was a prophet. The prophet gave an accurate word because it did come to pass. But Paul was being led by the Holy Spirit, and he could just go. He was not in rebellion in that moment. 
right? And then 2 Timothy 4, 5, this is the other passage that says this, but as for you, be clear-headed in every situation. This is Paul to Timothy. Endure every hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill the duties of your ministry. So Paul had something specific in mind when telling Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. They obviously both understood it. He didn't have to explain it more, right? He just said, do the work of an evangelist. The function was clear to him, and it would be to Timothy as well. He's not saying be an evangelist. He's saying do the work of an evangelist. So that's a, a, an uh, Ephesians 4 type equipping, right? The evangelist is to equip the body to do the work of an evangelist. Right? They're not just meant to go preach the gospel. They're to equip the body to do the work of an evangelist. So this is that passage that hopefully is going to be in your minds forever and ever and ever. Ephesians 4, 7 through 13. I'm going to go through 11. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. All right? Look at this one. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. There's an equipping so that you fulfill your role in ministry. All of us have ministry in our lives. All of us have things that we are called to do and be part of and function in. And there's an equipping that takes place so that we can fulfill that ministry. So this is, again, towards the end here. Uh, evangelist, the word says, the word in Greek is that. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Those with a primary ministry of proclamation of the gospel and whose main thrust is reaching the lost and equipping others to do the same. Those with a unique gift to preach the gospel unto salvation. We saw that in Philip, right? He had a unique gift. An entire city came to know Jesus through his preaching. That's pretty crazy. So they preached the gospel and trained others to share the gospel, often with signs, wonders, and miracles. And these are all the scriptures that we just went through. Acts chapter 8, talks about Philip. Acts 21, 8, which is Philip the Evangelist. And 2 Timothy 4, 5. So here are some modern-day examples. Can anyone think of a modern-day example? Yeah. Who? Any names? Yeah, Dan Moeller, Todd White, absolutely. I, I thought of a couple that had just passed away. Billy Graham, <laughs> right? Billy Graham preached to more people in person than anyone in Christian history today. 2.2 billion people. Does that sound like a special grace to preach the gospel, <laughs> right? You know, all of us are to be evangelizing I don't know that any of us here are functioning in that level. Maybe not yet. <laughs> Maybe someday. Maybe it's coming. 2.2 billion people. That's crazy. But he had a grace and a gift for that. Reinhard Bonnke. Estimated 79 million saved in Africa through his ministry. That's a special grace, right? A special gift to preach the gospel and see many saved. These are people I know, David Van Fleet from Street Life Ministries. Every
everything in his being is to preach the gospel. If he preaches a message, it's about the lost. Period. He wants to train churches. He wants teams to come so he can train you to preach the gospel. Train you to go to the streets. Train you to speak. To open up your mouth and not be afraid. That's what a, a minister of the gospel evangelist will do. Chio Pedro from Brazil. He's a national level leader because he goes everywhere. He doesn't care. He goes to the worst places. It's in his being. He can't stop. He will preach the gospel, and then he's taken now churches from across the nation and trained them to go to the streets, and now they continue to do the ministry that he started all across the nation. That's a fivefold, a minister of the gospel evangelist. It's in their being to preach the gospel. Every message they preach is toward the lost. Oh, we've got to preach the gospel. We've got to get the lost, right? So I'm just going to end with this, some key differences, because you might see some um, similarities, evangelists versus apostles. Apostles always work to establish. So it might begin with preaching the gospel, but their primary focus is establishing, not evangelizing. The evangelist is preaching the gospel, their primary focus. Evangelist's primary work is to spread a net. They're not focused or even gifted in establishing, but they're gifted in winning souls. All right, and these are two are supposed to work together. Apostles evangelize, but we don't see evangelists establishing. Okay? Apostles evangelize, they're preaching the gospel, but we don't see evangelists establishing churches. They're part of a team, maybe equipping a community. So apostles evangelize, but we don't see evangelists establishing unless they're duly graced or gifted, meaning some people could have two of those gifts. It's very, uh, Paul said he had three of them, and he's like the highest functioning person <laughs> we see. It's, it's not, it's pretty rare. Let's just say it that way. It's rare that someone would have like three or more gifts, but maybe two. You might see apostle evangelists. But those are the difference. The only person called an evangelist in the Bible is Philip. He was a deacon. He's not the disciple. Not one of the original disciples because they're all apostles. And many cons scholars consider other apostles evangelists because of their message. But the Bible was the, the, the only one in the Bible was Philip the evangelist. And that's why we looked at the pattern of his life. Okay, so those are the major differences between those two. Does that make sense? Timothy was actually an apostle trained up by Paul. So Paul the apostle took Timothy, part of his team, trained up. So he said, do the work of an evangelist, but not be an evangelist. He's not gifted in that. He was gifted in establishing. Paul noted him to be sodal, like, oh, you're apostolic. You're going to establish. You're gifted to do that. But, not, but he was saying that because we're all called to evangelize. That's the difference. It's not like, oh, I'll leave that up to the evangelist to do. Hmm? Right, exactly. Yeah, same exact thing. There's prophets and those who prophesy. There's evangelists and all of us who evangelize. Yeah, so we're all preaching the gospel. We should all be preaching, living the gospel. That's what our sound doctrine groups say, right? Like, we're, we're living it out in our workplaces, in our families, in, in our communities. But an evangelist is a leader in the church who's graced 
and bent towards always. You've got to preach the gospel. If you, if you meet somebody, if you meet, you'll know an evangelist when you meet them. It's impossible to not know because they're always like, we're not doing enough for those on the streets. We're not doing enough for the lost. We've got to get out. And it can get, you might be annoyed by them, but it's really a gift. And a lot of times they're out doing their own thing because they've been rejected by the church. Some of it's their own rebellion and just like, I've had enough of church. Like, no, the church doesn't focus enough on the lost, right? So there's both things. Church doesn't focus enough on the lost, so I'm going to go do what I need to do. That's part of, partly because of the grace. They're immature in their gift. So they got to be out, but it's not healthy because they don't know how to be part of a local community. So then they're not pointing people to local churches. Billy Graham always connected people to local churches. It's in his Wikipedia, if you read it. <laughs> it was noted, even with preaching to 2.2 billion people get saved, he was pointing to them to churches, be part of a family. Reinhard Bonnke, the same thing. They weren't just saying, oh yeah, go off and do your own thing. No, be part of a local church community, be part of a family, because that's what it means to be saved, right? So we've got to have evangelists in the church raised up to learn how to be in community, love community, and then go out. Show us how to go out. Lead the charge. Uh, give us courage, because it's naturally in them. Give us courage to go out, gather people, and bring them in to the family. Okay? So that's an evangelist.